We can talk about anything you want as Welcome to Jay Flaunce's Ignorance. This is episode 36, and I think we're talking affirmative action. And uh, several episodes ago, you and I uh, talked affirmative action briefly at the end of a two-hour conversation. And I was, uh, oh boy, okay, so he's got a book. What, which book is this one? Oh, it's a, so I actually, I haven't read this completely. So like where the bookmark is, I've only read the beginning. But this is actually a book that I found recently. It's not a secret that I'm a Thomas Sowell fan, right? Mm-hmm. But I was actually trying to research where affirmative action has ever had any success. Mm-hmm. And uh, I actually stumbled across his book, which I didn't know that he wrote. It's called Affirmative Action Around the World, which oh. oddly fits my question that I had very well. <laughs> so oh, cool. Yeah. He actually talks about it from everywhere that's ever had it. And uh, the first thing he does is he talks about how um, it's called different names in different countries. Mm. But it's always the same idea that they want to give uh, lower, I guess you could say lower class people a, a, a step up or uh, it's it's basically a, a rinse and repeat of our situation, but in different countries and cultures around the world. Hmm. So I, I thought one framework we could try to go at this from is the we, we started talking several days ago about if you and I are the 50 50 owners of a company mm-hmm. and we have 10,000 employees. And how various scenarios would arise in this company. Like we could talk through hypotheticals because I'm a hypothetical guy and that <laughs> drives you crazy. Maybe <laughs> no, well, it, hypotheticals. Like if I had a nuclear bomb in my base, <laughs> hypotheticals <laughs> never really drive me crazy. As long as we can bring it back to like a real world thing, uh, <laughs> if that makes any sense. So what, it, so what if we form Chris J Corp LLC? Nah, it'll be a corp, not an LLC. We're huge. We've got 10,000 employees uh-huh. yeah, and we're 50, 50 owners. And, uh, we discover that, oh shit, uh, 98% of our top executives are white men that are 40 plus years old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me that what we should do about that is be like, oh, well, that's not good. Because it turns out when you look at the population, because this is an American company, when you look at the population of America, half of all uh, people in America are women. And 98% of the top executives being white men, that's a problem on a gender line, right? And so it seems to me that, well, what we should do about that is we should start figuring out, okay, well, how do we get more women into our executive boardrooms and then into the vice presidential tier of the company and then into senior management at our 15 different factories around the world or whatever. So I would say that maybe it's something we should look at, but I don't think the statistic in and of itself is proof that we need to do something. That's generally how I look at those statistics. Yeah. Case in point, I was actually looking up the statistics for the distribution of, of women and men in different jobs around the country. And do you know what the profession is with the least amount of women percentage wise? Is uh, firefighter? No, it's auto mechanics. Oh, really? And it's only like point... more women firefighters than auto mechanics. Oh, yeah, by a pretty significant amount, I'd say. I could probably find that website again, but uh, it was it was auto mechanics, and it's only like point seven or seven or eight percent women. And that's to me, that's a field that could easily accommodate women. Would you agree with that? I would think so. I mean, it's not like they have to worry about 
where they go to the bathroom. They don't have to worry about, you know, lifting too much. I wouldn't think it, it's certainly like a technical job. So really all, and you know, the schooling is pretty short too. Like I would say that if we wanted to correct that, we could even correct that within a year's time by sending a bunch of women to trade school to pick up this profession and get them in as at least entry level. Would you agree with that? Well, so if Chris J Corp is an organization of auto mechanics, like we're a network, we're a franchise network of auto mechanic shops. Yeah. Like Jiffy Loop. Yep. Like something like that. Yeah. So you and I are 50, 50 owners uh-huh. and we discover that 99 point, whatever 2% are men. Why is that? Right. What, what is it? And I think we should pursue that aggressively and try to figure out, well, we're missing out on half the workforce. This is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. If, if women are uh, feeling like they can't participate in this industry, for some reason that we can correct, we should try to correct that. We should try to address that. Mm-hmm. So are, are we on the same page so far that we should try to address it? Yes and no. I would be on the same page if we said that we needed to evaluate if there was a problem. So what I'm trying to say is, is that the number itself isn't the problem. Potentially. Uh So, and, and this is kind of where I usually don't like using the statistics to say there's a problem. And that is because we generally, so I think your original argument when we started this was, uh, 50% of the country is women. There's, there's no reason why we can't have a higher percentage, at least of women represented in their workforce. Right. So, I don't know There's if you've, no reason I'm aware of that right, that right. can't be true. Right. And and that's kind of based on the maybe the idea that everybody's the same in the sense. Like there's no unique distinguishing factors between different types of people. So in my mind, so if we're talking about just statistics, no emotion, no nothing, no pre- preconceived ideas, we have drawn a line in an arbitrary spot defined by whether or not you have a, a PP, like a, a penis or not, right? Mm-hmm. That's the quote unquote arbitrary line in our set of data. Right. If people were homogenous, Missy, no. <laughs> Missy. Hey, no, Missy. Don't get worked up. I don't even know what you're upset about. Hopefully we can take this little section out. It's really not that loud on the mics, and I could clip it in editing, so okay. I, just, I just keep talking if I were you. Okay. Well, so anyways, if uh, so the line along sex is arbitrary, right? But this, if we were to say that women and men and people in general were random events where, it, let's say it's some odd two-sided die, right? Or maybe, you know, a six-sided die with three blues and three reds mm-hmm. and we just threw them up in the air and they let them all randomly down fall down however many millions of people are in the united states then it would be evenly distributed right 50 percent and 50 percent mm-hmm. but my problem with using that as the basis for quote unquote there's a problem is that human beings are not random events 
they are different for other reasons other than where the statistic that you're looking at, right? I have rarely seen women, especially young women who haven't officially chosen a career path that says, says I want to be a mechanic. So even if we had this mechanics, 10,000 employees of mechanics, there's one side of the equation that we can't control. And we can't not look at the statistics like people are random events because they are not. Mm-hmm. They have different desires and different tastes that need to be accounted for in the workforce. And that is accounted for by just allowing people to make their own choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not arguing that our company of 10,000 employees needs to become 5,000 women that are do- okay. Well, hold on. So we have 10,000 employees. The, the executive tier, right. Is say the top 100, right. And they make way more money than everybody else because everybody else is changing oil at Jiffy Loops. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, the, you know, there's the, the individual store managers and they make more money than the individual line workers that just got hired. And then the ones that have seniority make more money than that anyway. So there's a cascading tree of how much money people are making, but the vast majority of the salary is going out to the top 100 people. Right. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's take, let's say that, uh, let's say that 9,500 of our 10,000 employees are doing the actual work, doing the labor of the fixing of the cars as they roll in the, the shops, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that we're trying to shoot for 50% of those people being women and we have to do everything humanly possible to make that true. What I do think we should be doing is looking at, well, why is it that we have such a statistical derivation between the popula- population and the uh, reality of our, our payroll? Right? Mm-hmm. And we should look at, okay, well, how many of our applicants are women and how many people have the skills and where did they get those skills from the trade schools and where, or or from the trade schools or from high school or whatever. And our company is not individually responsible. I don't think to fix the problem to 50, 50, because that's not where I think we should spend our resources trying to get. But I do think that we apparently have a bunch of research to do to figure out, okay, well, why is it that this is true? And if the reasons are all benign in terms of no women are feeling locked out of the system for whatever reason, or there's sexual harassment going on in our individual stores or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever is under our control, or we're not hiring women because they're women on applications and we throw those applications out that we have a responsibility to, uh, research whether or not uh, any of these things are going on that are hostile towards women being employees mm-hmm. in our auto mechanic shops. So I would, I would agree with that. I guess my initial point was so, and, and I, I didn't, I wasn't saying that you thought it was 50%, but you're, but you're saying that uh, there's a problem because it's only 0.81%. And we think that, maybe it should be more because there's a higher percentage of women in the country. Like, like you and I just bought this company today. Yeah. Right. So we, we own this company now and I'm telling you, it shocks me that 99.8 or 99.2% mm-hmm. of, I, I assume there are women in the field. Right. Mm-hmm. And so if, if we're not doing what we can to make it hospitable, then you and I are losing money in our own selfish 
way where we want to, you know, make as much money as possible. We're losing money on potential workforce that aren't applying for our jobs because it's hostile or, you know, whatever the problem is. Mm -hmm. And I want to make more money because I'm a good capitalist. Right. And so it's in our best interest to make sure that we maximize the pool from which of, of employees from which we can draw. And women fixing cars is a huge, we're missing half of our potential workforce. Right. So, so I think we should now spend tens of thousands of dollars to hire, uh, you know, to spend our employees time to go to the different locations as kind of like auditors and trying to figure out, okay, well, what, what seems to be going on here? Yeah. Uh, if anything, right. And it could be that there's nothing that needs to change, or it could be that there's lots of things that need to change. I have no idea because I've never worked in a Jiffy Lube. So I, I don't personally have any experience in why that would be. And then if the educational pipeline is such that women are being discouraged from, you know, the age of eight from getting into that field, even though they might, you know, show some proclivity to do it, then that's a problem with the education system, you know, and you and I are billionaires now, so we can, you know, try to <laughs> affect change there if we want to. But if all of the doors are open and all of the opportunities are freely available, then I think that we don't have a problem and there's nothing for you and I to fix yeah. with that. So as I, I guess uh, if I understand you correctly, I think we do agree in the sense that it's not the statistic that's the problem. Not necessarily. And it's it, right. And so I would agree with that, that a statistic is a indicator that there might be a problem that yeah. we need to re uh, research further. I, yeah. I can get behind that. Yeah. Okay. And so, so I want a budget of $5 million because we're, we, you know, we got so much money. I want a budget of $5 million to, you know, do five years of trying to figure this out. Mm -hmm. And if it's a problem, let's address it. And if it's not a problem, then we don't address it. Right. So, so we have, so you can put it in the show notes. I sent you a link for where I was getting this information, but it's actually vehicle technicians, mechanics, and electricians, and it's 0.81% female. And it's the number one male dominated force as of, or male dominated workforce as of 2021. Huh. Yeah. And, I wonder why that is. And we, uh, need a, we need an auto mechanic to tell us why there are no women in their field. So when I, I mean, I was an auto body technician. Yeah. So why were there no women there? I don't, I don't know. I, um, I can tell you that if we go talk to Kelly right now about vehicles and, and how to troubleshoot an engine, her eyes would just gloss over. Well, me too. Yeah. Like, I don't know yeah. jack about engines. But I rarely have ever run into a woman that does, is okay with getting into those conversations with me. Like uh, the idea of seeing a mechanical device and, and kind of intuitively understanding how to troubleshoot it and, and evaluate it. It's not that I, I don't think that their, their women are bad at it. I just think that they just don't have as much of an interest in doing it. Generally speaking, that's just my perception. I could be completely wrong. I'm not, and that's a vast generalization. I'm not saying that women, like you can't look at a woman and say, she doesn't want to troubleshoot anything. Right? She doesn't want to look at an engine. You can't say that, but it's like, so it, it's kind of like a, the weather in the sense that if you can make the general assessment that it's going to be warmer in the summer than it is in the winter. Right. But you can't say every day in the summer is going to be warmer than every day in the winter. Right. So there's like this, 
generalization that I'm making here that isn't true for all women and making it true for all women would be sexist and, and, uh, discrimination. Uh, but what I am trying to say is that there's two sides to the equation here. And that is me and you want more women in our company, but there also also has to be more women that want to be in the company, right? <laughs> and that's all I'm trying to say. And that's yeah. So, yeah. so you have an electrical engineering degree, mm-hmm. right? And how what percentage of people in your class for EE were women? In the beginning, it was quite a few. Like we had an auditorium. My first electrical engineering course was in like this auditorium that was packed. Like I remember they had to bring in like more seats into the back like into an overflow and it was a hard course. Like in retrospect, it was a very easy course, <laughs> but what, what, what is hard about electrical engineering is a mindset that you have to get into about how to analyze things and how to look at circuits in a more complicated way. And it's very abstract and it was challenging even for me to start off in that, relatively easy course um there was a lot of women i mean there was a lot of dudes i i would say the next semester um for electrical engineering it like a required course for everybody i would say that there was a quarter or a half of the amount of people and um so did the percentage of women change it did there was only one woman left and she she went out of hundreds of kids. In your I wouldn't class. out of hundreds. Um, I'm trying to remember how big the second class was. It was probably fifty, and maybe there was another option to take it at a different time. I'm not sure, but the woman that was in that class was at least the only one that I knew that had graduated with an electrical engineering degree with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I would say there was, pro- if I were to guess. And keep in mind, this was a while ago. This was 12 years ago, probably 13 years ago. If I, if I were to guess, there was probably 20 women in there to start. And it went down to one in the second class. And it was hard to get help, but it was hard to get help for everybody. And in the first class, you know, like we would set in groups in like study areas in the engineering building and everybody would help everybody. And everybody was trying to solve problems and get help with like understanding and general understanding. And, uh, it was, it was a, even, even though I could pass that class now with my, my eyes closed at the time, it was a difficult class. And I think what happened was, and I did see some of those, those girls later on, um, uh, in school. And I asked them like, well, what happened? Why'd you leave the electrical uh, engineering program? And then they, they said that they went on to engineering management courses or, or, or other things like that. So it's not like that they left engineering altogether. They just went into more of a managerial direction, which I think is kind of a good move. I, I, in retrospect, maybe I should have done that, but so a lot of I, all, but one woman did that. And a lot of the guys did that as well. And, um, if they didn't drop out altogether. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I guess what I don't know why 
a higher percentage of women made that choice than men. And I don't know why women even chose to go into the profession less than men. But I will tell you right now that they're highly sought after in engineering in general Mm -hmm. because of the same situation that we're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, and we'd have to talk to them, and each one is an individual with, a, you know, a long story about what's going on, and yeah. lives, et cetera. So, we, you know, that we should ask them, well, what happened, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, one of two things, probably a mix of things, happened. Either they made free individual choices about what they prefer, what work they want to do, right? Which everyone should be able to do. That's totally fine. Like, if this isn't a good fit for you, do something else. Everyone should do that, regardless of whatever categories of people you're in or there were systems in in the structure of the university setting and in our our jiffy lube uh franchise (laughs) company where uh women are experiencing the environment very differently than men are and that makes it less attractive and so they leave right and if it's if there are things in the second category going on, then you and I as the owners of this company have a responsibility to try to figure out what those things are and remediate that, those things, I think. Yeah. And, you know, on a, um, and uh, in that thing I emailed you, electrical engineers is actually number 23. It's, I think it's the first engineer on the list. Oh, nope. Telecommunications engineers and design and development engineers are, higher up the list but electrical engineers are 5.95 percent women and then the next one's mechanical engineers 6.6 percent women it engineers 6.82 percent women electronics engineers are 7.127 percent women so um it's certain there is very few female electrical engineers and And you think that's, know. that that potentially there's a problem and we should spend resources trying to figure out if there is a problem or not, right? Oh, sure. And and for certain, in our hypothetical situation where we're going to be a vehicle technicians, mechanics, and electricians, which is number one, which is 0.81% women, um, <clears throat> so... I, it, yeah, and I, I do agree that, you know, like I would, I, if we were purchasing the company, I would be shocked and I'd be like, yeah, this is something worth looking into. And I, I, I would agree with that. Um, I guess I wouldn't. Well, no, I'd be shocked that 99.8, like that would surprise the shit out of me. I, I wouldn't have been shocked at like 90%. Like I would have just, that, that would have been my preconceived notion of it. Um, but yeah, if we if the, if in the entire workforce of ninety five hundred people that we're talking about, there's one woman <laughs> or two women, yeah. I'd be like, "Holy, what in the entire company? How is that possible?" Yeah, that's probably a problem. We should go try to figure that out. What's going on? So so far, it sounds our, like you and I agree on that. Yeah. So so far, our hypothetical situation is that we are a mechanics company, ten thousand employees, and only. Eight point eight one percent women, and uh, and what did you say the percentage of leadership in the company was? Women, a uh, uh, hundred, just to make the math easy. So the top hundred are making most of the money. No, I mean when you look at the salaries, there's a there's a huge curve where the top hundred people are making 
way more money than the bottom line workers. Oh, I guess what I meant was how many, I, I think the initial uh, circumstance was there was a certain amount of executives that were women that you started off, but I couldn't remember what you said. Oh, well, I, I'd, I'd see this as, you know, different facets of the same problem, right? Uh-huh. So the people actually working on the cars, if that percentage is super low, and then in our middle tier, like our who owns the franchises or whatever, mm-hmm. is like 20% women, I'd be like, oh, thank, you know, thank goodness it's not, you know, less than 1% again. So 20% women of the owners of the franchises, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, that's better. I'm still wondering why it's not 50%, but, you know, maybe yeah. that's, you know, so 20% isn't as alarming as less than 1%. But then, like our executive suite, it's zero. It's all yeah. old white dudes. Yeah. So let's actually take one step back. Let's say the all the majority of, like, let's say its shares are similar percentage with store owners as 0.81% women, right? But let's say... So like usually inside of companies, you have a hierarchy where you have the entry level and then you have like managers of the entry level people mm-hmm. that need to know the the job of the people that they're managing. Right. right. So Because, you know, these uh, entry level people or whatever are maybe have a problem and they need to look uh, to some leader in order to get some guidance about what to do with their job. Right. Leaders who actually know how to do the jobs. Right. There. So like, Employees. let's say, um, women are overrepresented as their managers by like a factor of like, I don't know, like a thousand, but let's say instead of 0.81% women, um, maybe there's, uh, maybe that next tier level up that should have the skills of the job are, are 35% women. Would you think that that's a good thing or a bad thing? 35% women. Yeah. In the, in the highest tier level where they are managers of people where they should know the job of the people they're managing. Well, I'd, I'd find that shocking. How, how did we get, I, I think that's great. You think right. that's great? Yeah, I think it's actually towards fifty percent. I think it's actually terrible, and the, the reason why I say it's terrible is uh, because part of the real world affirmative action stuff that people complain about is that people that are in managerial positions are usually well, like not usually, but um, the Asian community in IT who is actually doing the most recent affirmative action case that should be going to the pre- Supreme Court here pretty soon. I think. Or maybe it was already there, and they they're doing uh, putting. I I can't I can't remember. It's at the Supreme Court level. At any rate, one of the the people that have really been pushing for this uh, Supreme Court case about affirmative action being a violation of human rights is that in the IT community in California, Asian, which is considered a minority numbers wise as far as the total population, is represented on very high levels in IT and the tech industry in general in California on entry-level positions. And they've been in those entry-level positions for a long time. And what their complaint is, is that managerial positions above them are a disproportionate amount of people. They're not represented in management positions on 
equivalent levels of their overall employment in the industry. And and what their complaint is, is that uh, minorities like blacks and, and, and uh, uh, Latino people are generally like orders of magnitude higher percentages in those managerial positions than they are represented in the regular workforce that they're supervising directly. And that right there to them is an atrocity because they're not being represented uh, as managers yeah. on equal footing in their own companies that they work for. Right. So what, what you're saying is um, people are getting promoted because they're in a minority class yeah. and they're trying to fix their statistics and therefore by promoting them, our statistics looks better. And yet the people actually doing the work are still uh majority uh minority or sorry. Asians, Asian minority, different minority, I guess you could say. Right. So the complaint, if I'm understanding you correctly, the complaint is that what's happened in that field is that a bunch of uh people got affirmative action into uh uh Leadership roles. Yeah. Yeah. Based on the affirmative action skewing the statistics such that it doesn't even make sense anymore that um, what, uh, what what is my point? Because we're dealing with two different minority groups. Yeah. So, so you have to look at, you'd have to look at it as a, a, you know, a ladder of roles, right? That probably the pay levels are commensurate with, the going up the ladder and the responsibilities and look at, okay, well at each uh, tier of this ladder, what are the percentages compared to the demographics of the population theoretically that we're drawing from for employees and at each tier, um, uh, that complaint is that the second tier is over-concentrated because of affirmative action hiring uh, such that their minority group is getting left behind. Is that right? Yes. And um, so, so when we have 10,000 employees and 35% of our line worker managers are women, you think that's terrible because it doesn't represent the workforce below them. Apparently what's happened over decades is that they've gotten promoted because they're women into management roles. And yet we still aren't getting more equality in the people actually doing the work. Is that what you're saying? To be clear, uh, I actually don't have the complaint of the story that, and I, I, I should think of the author's name that uh, was talking about this, um, but he actually, I, I, yeah, he doesn't actually talk about it in the book. It was in some subsequent interviews that he had that you can actually find on interviews. But the name of the book is called An Inconvenient Minority. Yeah. Yeah. We quoted that and put it in the show notes a couple episodes ago. Yeah. So, uh, so there, though, he's the one that kind of made the claim about uh, the tech industry and how um, it doesn't seem right that this sort of disproportionate promotions are happening. So, what I, I would not say that it's evidence of mistreatment in our case, in our company. But I would also think like the 0.81% women overall, I think it's a indication that maybe we should 
we should research what's going on because if something unfair is happening, that certainly is evidence that something could be happening. Not that something is happening, but just like the 0.81%, it's evidence that something could be happening and we need to research it. I also think that that would be something that needs to be researched and make sure that our company is being fair to the people that it employs, no matter what race or gender they are. Yeah. Yeah. So that was episode 31. We talked about an inconvenient minority, but Kenny zoo, Kenny zoo. Yeah. Yeah. At one hour, 16 minutes, if you want to jump back to that. So, so it sounds like we're on the same page. It sounds like we both think that the, uh, that if what we see is a mismatch between the population and our company's population, then that's worth looking into and trying to figure out, okay, well, if there are uh, some sort of hostile things towards whatever, whether whatever the, the category of person is, that we should spend time and resources trying to figure out what that is, right? Yeah. And you're saying further that if, as far as we can tell, people just aren't going into that field out of their own free will, right? That that's not a problem. And that's certainly not our company's problem that that is just the way the world works and people make choices and they're choosing not to work for us. And there's nothing we can do about that. And further, we shouldn't do something about that. That's not something that's wrong. That's the way that people are. I wouldn't say the end of what uh, I wouldn't entirely agree with the end of what you said. So I think it's a very complicated issue whether or not we should do something. What I think that we should do is that if we have this study done, that's a fair and honest study that says that we should try to spend a little bit of money to get women interested in this overall. Um, then, and the re if we spend, you know, $10,000 to try to get women involved that it will make us or save us, you know, a certain percentage of that over the next five years or whatever. And it's a worthwhile investment for us to encourage women to enter the field. It's somehow, some way, um, it would make business sense for us to do that. Oh, it, to it, encourage women specifically. It, it, but if, if, if the study comes back and says, there's no evidence that doing this, this will work. You just be throwing your money in the garbage. Um, then we shouldn't do it on that account too. I, I definitely don't think that it's something that we should take our company into the hole for. Um, and that, that would just kind of be my general position on it. Okay. Uh, but you do think under certain circumstances, a set of researchers could, uh, persuade you through their research that you should actively spend money recruiting women from, uh, these, you know, this list of, 150 technical institutions mm -hmm. yeah, yeah which is affirmative action right like like we are affirmatively going after the problem we're trying to solve women but we're not going to offer them a different compensation package we're just actively recruiting them while we're not actively recruiting men we're spending money to actively recruit into the exact same position yeah so and and that was that was what you're right that's what affirmative action was originally under um um, 
I think it was J- uh, JFK uh, was the one that actually coined the phrase affirmative action. And that's like uh, at the time, that's what it was, was trying to get people interested um, in doing things that they typically don't do. You know, I don't think it was kind of focused towards women at the time, but um, that that is what the focus was, was just trying to influence people to get people to do different things. But it didn't work and it never has worked. So I guess what somebody would have to convince me that what we're going to do will work and have an effect on us. Uh, ideally, our profession would be, our company would be an ideal candidate because it's, the schooling isn't long. It's not expensive. Uh, a lot of it would involve the on the job training and we could get, you know, a, a turnover really fast within a couple of years. Uh, related to that though, uh, the company I work for Union Pacific Railroad, you know, they, they have tried to do this aspect of affirmative action and get women and minorities involved and interested in our company through engineering and, and, uh, other types of jobs that, that generally don't have the quote air quote ideal representation of those um, individuals. And, and they don't even expect a change within like a decade. And, um, and that's because we're, we're largely a specialized group, you know, with a specialized railroad knowledge and, and, or the job itself requires you to go to school for four or five years in order to obtain an, engineering degree but, but you're a big company you hire people every year right like right you don't you hire hundreds of people every year yeah but the, the the problem isn't uh that it's just that if we are today if we try to get somebody to go into engineering we can, we can't possibly so if they were going to go into nursing and we somehow actually convince them to go into to engineering their freshman year of college they don't even graduate with an engineering degree until five years later and that's why it's hard for the Union Pacific real world company to affect a change in that matter because it's such, it has such a lagging effect and it's hard to data, use data to say the changes are real and aren't part of normal fluctuations. You know what I'm saying? So I guess, uh, I think that that's why they, pro- um, they project that that type of affirmative action will take such a long time to even have even minimal differences. But what I'm trying to say is, is that our hypothetical company could have a better chance than the union Pacific because there's not that huge lag, you know, it's just a year, year and a half. Um, or we could even just say, Hey, you want to come work for us? We'll change train you on the job. Uh, I guess my point is, is that I could, I could be convinced, but I have to be convinced and I'm a, I'm a very, uh, do you know what would convince you? No, I don't. I I don't. It would have to be something new. And, and that's part of my problem with affirmative action now is that I've never seen anything that worked anyways. Yeah. Well, I don't know the history. I certainly don't know all the citations in your book. Uh, It'd be interesting to look up the well, JF, when JFK to- coined the term. I'd be interested to see what specifically were those programs that they were talking about at the time. What did they do? Yeah. What did they offer, et cetera? I don't know. 
Yeah. And um, I actually stopped reading it. Uh, I haven't gotten back into it yet, but there are other instances that I've kind of read in the past, especially by Thomas Sowell, because he, he, he talks about it on a pretty extensive level in other books. I mean, it's, it's not this detailed information, but um, some other things that I've read from him basically say that affirmative action has never worked in the past, you know, and all these different kind of um, things that there's really no evidence that it works at all. Um, and that it, and, and here's like where I think it gets difficult is that usually, and this actually isn't from this book, but it's from other things that Thomas Sowell has written. What usually happens is that it doesn't affect the intended group of people and as much as we want it to, and usually has an effect on alternative classes of people that maybe have similarities to the focus group. So that's the first problem that it creates. And and the second problem that it creates is perception among the rest of the workforce. And we actually, I don't, I don't know if I told you the recent story about a, um, a meeting that our company had about affirmative action. Um, but they actually, one thing that, um, people don't, um, like about the affirmative action in our company is the specific goals involved. They think it's sexist and racist to try to set and meet goals of minorities or women, because that makes it seem like there's a preference for them in the hiring process. Um, well, yeah, there, there is <laughs> right. Which I think the they point. think is there is unfair in the, affir- well, yeah, in it's the unfair, right? Because you're trying to correct an unfairness. There may be an unfairness, yeah. but there, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the reason you would take action is because you become convinced that, oh, yeah, the situation we're in is something we need to address. Right. But then again, Once you've made that decision, then how do you address it? Well, you treat people unfairly. That's what affirmative action is, is treating them unfairly. Right. And I think that's the whole problem. It's, that's it's the negative. Not, oh, that's the negative side. But, but it is what it is by definition. That That's how you get more women in as you target women specifically to get them into our business. Right. So, which is unfair. So the, but we're it's trying not, to fix a greater unfairness with unfairness and then hopefully everything gets sorted out and then we stop being unfair. I think that most people that are against affirmative action, if it, it was just targeting women and minorities to get them to apply uh, because they're just maybe unaware of the job or they're unaware of the opportunities or unaware that the company actually wants them. Um, I don't think that people would have a problem with that where people have a problem with it is that given people are given an advantage for being a minority of a or a woman over men uh, specifically to reach the goals. Mm-hmm. So if I'm actually more qualified for the job, but a, a woman also applies who is less qualified and she gets the job because she's a woman that is unfair, mm-hmm. right? Uh, on an it's extreme. And that is, that is what people don't like. And that is actually one of the things that Thomas Sowell says is 
a bad side of affirmative action. And and here's the reason why is because let's say, you know, you have a certain amount of positions open and um, you know that the company has affirmative action policies where they give preferences to women. Let's say you have 50 people apply for the job and you don't, you don't know that there's 50 other people. You don't know how many other women are applied. But let's say the job goes to a woman and I perceive that woman as being less qualified than me. There was only one job opening, right? The perception is, is that that person got the job because they're a woman, not because they're qualified for the job. So now you have 49 people that think that they were treated unfairly, right? That being said, in the last meeting, uh, somebody actually wrote in a question to the, uh, her name is Beth Whited, and she uh, she's like over all the HR stuff. I, I can't remember exactly what her title was at the time. She actually uh, got a different title recently, but um, somebody asked her, somebody said that they thought that they were, they were a white male and that they were a victim of um, uh, discrimination because somebody was promoted over them that they perceived as uh, uh, being promoted due to their sex. And so he said this and he said, how can we resolve this issue? And so instead of trying to, really investigate the situation what beth did was is that she said well statistically um more men got promoted um than applied than women did so um therefore we don't believe your claim she literally said this in a meeting right so now this guy is like well so you're going to use statistics to say that nothing bad happened to me <laughs> and and that's that's the problem that I have with it is that people generally speaking get obsessed with statistics and statistics are their end goal instead of human beings. And I think that that is absolutely the worst direction a company can take. And it's certainly not fair to people to do that. And, uh, and that's my overall problem with affirmative action. I think that had Beth said something along the lines of, hey, we take this stuff seriously and we want to treat everybody fairly and we'll look into what you have, your claims. I think the dude would have felt better. And I think that that would have been the position that the company needs to take. It, it, it's not fair to do the opposite in order to correct perceived wrongs when you have no direct evidence that there was ever a perceived wrong to begin with. And And then we just use statistics to kind of it's almost like how I perceive religion. It's that we make, we can't use statistics to be our authorization to treat people like shit. You know, we can't. And that's one thing that I think that religion does is that they use God as an excuse to treat people like shit. It's like, God is like this, um, accomplice all the time. We can't have statistics as an accomplice to our bad behavior. And, and we can't use statistics to justify bad behavior or else the bad behavior is never going to go away. It really, it really is. <laughs> it's the same. It's just the same problem. Same. And that's what I think is evil about affirmative action. Well, the, so in, in our company where we have 10,000 employees and 
you and I agreed that the affirmative action of trying to recruit more women in the field, that that's good, right? That, that if, if there appears to be a problem, we can try to recruit and nobody's going to have a problem with that, right? That's a form of affirmative action where we're targeting recruitment at women for our auto body or our whatever auto mechanic. Place, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, it's just like advertising for your products. Um, mm. Labor is a product that we purchase mm. and expanding your field of employees is no different than having more choices as products as a consumer. So, so say and, what we find out is that childcare is a big problem for our potential recruits, right? Mm-hmm. Where they can't come work for us because they're the primary caregiver for children. And it simply doesn't make fiscal sense for them to take this job because they're paying more in childcare than we're paying them to work for us. Yeah. So can we restructure our organization in such a way that childcare becomes part of uh, how we do business? I would say as long as it's profitable for us to do so. And as long as we, we treat people equally. Right. So, so what we would offer is childcare services. We know that, 99% 99% of the people who are going to take us up on that are women, right? Could be. But it's still fair because we're not giving money to women because they're women. We're providing childcare credit for people to come work for us, whoever needs that. Yeah. And if you're a single dad, you get the same childcare credit as anybody, right? Mm-hmm. And that, that all is copacetic with you? Yeah. And it, but to me, it actually kind of leads to more questions. Generally speaking, I, I would actually be okay with that if, if we did it. So under the conditions that that was profitable to our company and that we gave everybody the equal opportunity to take advantage of it, male or female, no matter what, uh, no matter what level in the company you were, uh, as long as those two conditions are met, I'd be okay with it. Even if the result was what you said, 99% of people that utilized it would, would be women. Mm-hmm. I, I would be fine with that because um, it, it's open to everybody. Take it and use it. When, uh, and I, as a counter question, I would ask, let's say we thought, the study came to us and said, Hey, this is one thing that you can do. It will make you this much money every year. You will get more women. You'll get your percentages of women up. Um, and, uh, everything will be great. Well, we're like, Oh yeah, we like to embrace new ideas. Let's do it. Five years down the line. We realized that the implementation of that concept has actually decreased the amount of women in our company percentage wise, increased the number of men, and it's used 99% by men. How mm. would you feel about that? Would you, would that upset you? So if the opposite statistics were true, if it actually hurt the company, but made us money, it, if it just, if it hurt the percentages of women overall in the company, would we get rid of that program? 
so I'm extremely comfortable working my entire life through the statistics of the thing. And <laughs> so I would always go back to, well, what was the goal? The goal was that we're trying to get out of 99.2% of our employees being men, if that's a problem. And anything that we do or don't do that hurts that goal is a failure and we need to reevaluate in my mind. So my goal as a company owner was to make more money and more profits, but it met that goal to me. It, uh, it, ma it makes us more money. It's a trade-off. Well, like, so if you can employ a hundred percent men and make more money doing that, then nothing about the fact that we have zero women in the company bothers you. It would bother me. Oh, but I'm, the question was, would we stop that program or we, would we continue it? That was the question. Yeah. My answer is anything that hurts our stated goals of trying to be a more equitable organization. We, we stop that program. We do something else. We're, we're trying whatever it takes so, to get to whatever the goal is. So we would, we would cut it off even though it made us money. We would say, we're not going to do this anymore. Yeah. See, I would actually do the opposite. And the, the only reason why I bring this up is because I think it would actually have that sort of an effect. And the reason why I think it would have that sort of an effect is because the majority of men, and just because I, I started off in that profession, um, I've seen at least a couple instances of, of men actually stopping the profession and being stay-at-home dads because their wives made more money. But you just said there's no women left. So no, what do you? No, my point is, is that if we implemented a program like that, the one that you suggested, which was a a a childcare program, in order to get people in, uh -huh. um, that otherwise quit because they wanted to, they they did the alternative of staying home and and uh, being parents to their children for financial reasons, right? So we're trying to get people in and the, uh, that would otherwise not have utilized or been employees. Right. My point is, is that I know at least two people that would take it and they're both men and they would come work for us because now we're paying for their childcare. Right. Uh -huh. I guess my point is, is that, um, as a company owner, I would be seeking profits. And if there was a problem, I would try to correct it. If there was opportunities to get more women, I would, I would go after it. But ultimately my goal is to make more money and I can't force people to come work. for me. So, right. But early in this conversation, I said that I wanted to spend 10 million of our dollars to do all this R and D and to run around trying to figure out, okay, is there a problem here? Right. And you were fine with that. Well, that's $10 million you don't have in profits. So I'm, I'm now confused that we're now having a conversation where your bottom line is, well, whatever makes the most money, that's what we do because that's better for everybody. No, well, I didn't, I didn't remember the $10 million to do this, but I thought we said like 10,000 and, and I thought that we were saying, let's do a study that says, yes. uh, is it more profitable for us to do whatever to fix something or to do a program or to correct things? So. I do think it's important to spend money to resolve issues. So like, let's say we spent that money and we found that, uh, there was a couple of store owners that were a part of our franchise that were being pieces of shit towards women. Mm -hmm. 
And I would say that that would, and we, we said to ourselves, we don't want to be associated with these individuals, no matter how much money they bring into us, because it's wrong how they're treating women. Mm. It is morally repulsive what they're doing. I would be all for that, even though we lost money, because it's against my morals as a human being to have somebody working for me like that, even if it costs us money, because it is against how I believe people should be treated, right? But the whole child care thing is a different issue. The, the child care thing is the study comes back and says, if you do this, you possibly could get a higher percentage of women. What I'm saying is the results of it is positive from a profit standpoint. We're bringing more men in and giving them this opportunity. We're not necessarily being unfair to anybody. It just turned out different than we expected. But it still makes us money. We're not being mean to anybody. I mean, if we want to redo the study to see if that program that we institute is actually causing heartache and mean meanness or us being a, a terrible company, that would be the grounds for me to remove it, even at the expense of profits. But if there is no problem, as far as treating people, you know, like poorly because of it, I, I wouldn't see an, I wouldn't see a reason to end it. So the, the original problem got worse, but we're making more money now because the thing that we implemented worked the opposite of the way that we thought it was going to, which surprised everybody. But our original problem, possibly, our, our original situation is now even more so. Yeah, I mean, and I... So, uh, you know, I, I think these things go on and on forever. Like, this is just an ongoing ongoing part of running a ethical company, I think, is that this stuff never goes away, right? Like, like people uh, feeling that, you know, this is unfair, that's unfair. That's just part of business, right? Like, anytime you're paying people to do a job and then the, the parameters of the job change for whatever reason, that's just part of uh business is that there's a constant change in, you know, what, what it is we, that we need to do. But, um, yeah, I, I, like, I, I would really like to talk to, uh, your 20 engineering, uh, gals that dropped out the women who dropped out of your EE field. Yeah. I'd like to talk to when I was going to Iowa state university and it was 97% men. Uh, and I, I think Iowa State University system wide was like 85% men. And then engineering was like 97% men. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. We'd have to talk to women about why it is that, well, individuals that started the program thinking they wanted to do it and then dropped out. Yeah. But, you know, I started three, four different degrees at <laughs> Iowa State and dropped out of all of those. Right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And, and to, to give you a carrot here. I would say that there are issues involved, at least with the profession of um, I guess you could say any sex dominated profession, whether it's male dominated or female dominated. Um, and and that is I think that we have this cultural response that allows us to not be inclusive to some level to whatever 
the lowest minority male versus women is. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, at work, um, I, I pretty much directly just work with a bunch of dudes, right? Sometimes I kind of wonder, um, is it fair for me to treat the women differently than the men? As far as like the inclusiveness goes. So from a work standpoint, I'm very inclusive. You know, I always want people, no matter what their sex is, to give contributions, uh, to be part of meetings, to do all these other things, right? And, uh, but there's a side of work that doesn't include work things. And in that area of work, I feel like I am unfairly exclusive of women. You're talking about socializing at work. Right. And, and doing things outside of work, you know, like, and, and part of that isn't really me, right? It's, it's the life I live. Meaning that if I came, if, if Steve who I pretty much Steve or, and or Nick, who both I work with, I play video games with them almost every night, at least on a weekly basis. If I were coming down here to play video games with them and Kelly knew that I was coming downstairs to play with a hot woman, <laughs> it would freak her out. It, it is, that would be an unsustainable thing. Right. So, and the funny thing is, is that the women that I do work with are somewhat, they're in the same department, but they are, I think they are very attractive women and they're very fun, good people with good, great personalities, right? But I have never once said to them, why don't you come play video games with us? Not because I don't want to. Because you're a to. sexist pig, Chris. I know. The funny thing is you mentioned that, but I, in inwardly, I actually have like an introspective battle about that because I like to treat, I like to treat people the same, mm -hmm. but I also care about my wife and I, I don't want, I don't want stuff like that to cause unnecessary friction with my primary relationship in my life. Is it, is it bad that she feels that way? I think it is, but I can't, I don't have any control over that. And I, I'll give you an example of when this happened. I think we'd only been married for about a couple years, maybe five years, maybe it was, or it was early on in our marriage. We go into Best Buy and I can't even remember what we were buying, but we get up to the front and there was this hot babe, like checking people out. It would, it just so happened that we, you mean running the cash register? Yeah. Yeah. Not checking people. Yeah. Out, like, so like she was running the cash men. It's our turn. We actually go to her, right? <laughs> so I have always been willing to talk to anybody about anything and strike up a conversation with anybody about anything. So she is a, she's a white girl. She's blonde. She's tall. She's beautiful, right? I would say she was, she was babe, but she had fucking tattoo on her face a tattoo on her face and I was shocked. Right. I, I wasn't shocked. I wasn't like, Oh my God, you have a tattoo on your face. I was like, so when we got up there and I noticed it and it was such an out of place thing that I asked her about the tattoo on her face. And she told us that she had a friend that died and she got the tattoo on her face in memory of her. 
And I thought that was a heartfelt story and a good conversation that made that. And, you know, Kelly was talking to her too. all these things. I thought it was a great conversation. I had no interest in this woman. I was not flirting. I was not doing anything. I was and still am a happily married monogamous person. I'm fine with that. You know, like I, that's the life I want to live. It makes me happy. So we're walking out of Best Buy and Kelly is like, everybody in there thought that you were flirting with her. I thought you were flirting with her. I'm like, what the fuck are you? I was probably the most upset with Kelly because we'd been together for at least a couple of years. She knows I like to talk to people. I talk to people about anything. And she wanted me to treat this woman differently. And that annoyed me. Right. So if attractive, don't talk to her. I guess so. I don't know. Um, I thought it was a good conversation. And, and, and that so Kelly's is a male chauvinist. <laughs> Maybe she's got some male uh, toxic masculinity. I don't know. <laughs> but here I am trying to be open, inclusive. And, and I'm not saying that I don't not talk to women at work. What I'm saying is, is that there is a part of our culture that can't be denied about that type of situation. And I think that it hurts whoever is in the minority of any profession, whether you're a male nurse or a female engineer, I don't have a solution to that. Right. No, I I think you and I running our corporation, we, we have potential for trying to bring solutions to it. Yeah. And I think as owners of the company, it's our our responsibility to do so. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah. And I, I think I can find in, in you, you know, your triggers, your ethical triggers, under which you're willing to lose money for the company uh, because it's the right thing to do. Right. And oh, yeah, if, for sure. if we think it's the right thing to do that we're going to, you know, recruit and do this and healthcare and childcare and, you know, whatever it is. And I, I think you and I can figure that out and make accommodations right. for minorities, for people of color, for women, for, you know, whatever, whatever it is that we find that we're 99% excluding if we can be more ex- inclusive, I listened to a long podcast about them, uh, about disability rights, mm-hmm. you know? And so this is a two hour conversation. Uh, a gentleman's in a wheelchair and uses a speaking machine, you know, and mm-hmm. just talking about um, equity in the workforce in terms of um, uh, people with disabilities and trying to be inclusive and uh, meet the needs of everyone in your organization, you know, two hours of that. And, um, the accessibility stuff in, in my job is, is there, there, there's hardly any, I mean, the, we, we're all telecommuters and, um, well, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's always accessibility issues, I guess, but, uh, anyway. Hmm. Yeah. At, at, at any rate, I, the numbers would never be the goal for me to, it would be the ethical or moral behavior inside the company that was wrong that we needed to correct. But we can use the numbers as red flags of potential problems. Yes, like, I would agree. Hey, maybe this is indicative of a problem. Right. The numbers can't, at least in my mind, can't be used as a sole reason to one, justify bad behavior or two, dictate what we do. Um, it, it, in other words, we need to be making decisions based upon treating people well and good 
and also keeping those people employed by focusing on making our our our, our keeping our company uh, profitable and 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 solvent, I guess you could say, and uh, and being able to make it to where these people can come into work the next day into a well-run company that um, has their best interests in mind. Yeah. And if, if we find red flags in the stats and I'm like, Hey, Chris, I'm concerned about this. And then we try something and the stats get worse. It seems to me I'm now more concerned and Hey, we need to look at, okay, well in this context, we thought this was going to help. Apparently it didn't help. Let's figure out what the next step might be. Yeah. And, and really, at the end of the day, I think all I'm trying to say is that the stats themselves would not would never concern me. They would just be an indicator for something that we need to look more into. Okay, I'll, yeah. I'll let you split that hair. I don't understand. Well, <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is is that because there's things that are outside of our control, right? And 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 we can't control those things. All we can control is: Are we being ethical? Are we being profitable? Are we being fair? As long as we're doing those things. Uh, I don't think, um, that there's nothing to be worried about in my mind that the numbers themselves are just numbers. Yeah. If, if you yeah. and I come to yeah. the conclusion that we've done everything that we can over the last two years to try to f- figure out, okay, well, this looks like a red flag to you and I, and we did all this stuff and nothing. And it appears that it's just not a red flag anymore. You know, then, then I get it. Then we're like, oh, okay. Chris and I are both comfortable with this statistic. I still want to keep an eye on it in case it gets a hundred times worse. But generally speaking, I'm not worried about this anymore. We've done a bunch of research and digging and trying to figure out what could be different here. And we have come to the conclusion that there's nothing to change. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we both feel the same on that. I, and, and going back to our company. And I think one reason why I've kind of been researching this lately is because of even the wording of the affirmative action stuff. And and not even just from like me being treated unfairly standpoint, but me being possibly given an advantage that I feel like I don't deserve standpoint. And the reason why is because in the blurb for like affirmative action, it basically says we want to hire people that have these traits, right? And that we want to promote them over others. Um, the and, and we want to give... We want to give them, it doesn't say that they want to give them an advantage. I probably should have looked it up to get the exact text, but um, at, at the end of the day, one of the things that's on the list is a protected veteran, which I am. So if, uh, and you know, when I applied for my job, I put that I was a perfected, a, perfected, a protected veteran on my application, but there was somebody that I worked with um, that also applied that was not a protected veteran. And, and to me, I don't think it's right to give me the job over somebody else because of that one simple fact, right? The company I think needs to look at it from a value and qualification standpoint that says, yes, he does have this box checked, but if, if doing this job in the military made him a worse person (laughs) because now he's racist against people in the middle East or whatever, um, or, uh, because he doesn't have the leadership skills that we're looking for, we're going to pick this other candidate that went to school or 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 went into the field. Um, it, it doesn't seem right to just hire me just for that fact, right? Mm-hmm. And I felt when I noticed that and I read that, and I was like, well, 
what if I got the job simply because I was a veteran and I didn't really deserve it? And I think that that's another side effect of affirmative action that I dislike is that people that do deserve the jobs, they get the jobs, but they happen to be a minority. Potentially, and I, I think I've seen this from both women and minorities. There's always this thing in the back of their mind. Well, what if I got the job because I'm a minority and not, a, or what if I got the job because I'm a woman, right? It, I, I think that it kind of ruins. It, it, it's like a little thorn in the side of the confidence of these individuals that get the job and deserve the job. And I don't like that aspect of it either. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. My butt hurts. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a little shorter of a podcast. That's good. An hour, 15 minutes. Uh, it's gotta well, my be butt good. clock's an hour 40. So yeah. <laughs> good times. Thanks once again, Chris, for another episode of Jay Flunce's Ignorance. See you next week or whenever. See ya.